Well, if you have a Bible with you or in front of you, please do open it to John chapter 11. That'll be really helpful for me and hopefully for you as you follow it along. This past week, I was in Castle Wellen for the whole week. I was speaking at a Crosslinks camp there. Uh, it was a very busy week, really encouraging in lots of ways. Um, I did have one afternoon to myself, and during that afternoon in Castle Wellen, I decided that I would go and try and tackle the maze that's there. If you've been there, you'll know that there's a big maze at Castle Wellen. I haven't done that in, I'm sure, 10 years or more, so I thought, right, I'll go and spend a bit of time in the maze. How hard can it be to make your way around this maze? Harder than I thought, turns out. Um, but 15 minutes in, I thought, okay, this is definitely a little bit more difficult than what I remember it, but I kept going. It was nice and sunny. I wasn't in that big a rush to be anywhere. 30 minutes in, I was beginning to panic and having to come to the realization that I was actually lost. Um, 45 minutes in, I looked at my watch, realized that I needed to be back in about 15 minutes, and at that point had to admit defeat. But whenever you're in the maze and you admit defeat, it's a little bit tricky getting out of the maze. Um, so what I had to do was there was a guy who was on the bridge, and his girlfriend was just as lost in the maze as I was, and so he was shouting instructions to her in order to tell her where to go. And I had to remain at a respectable enough distance from this girl so as not to think that I was stalking her, but close enough still to be able to hear his instructions, telling her where to go, and eventually <coughs> I made my way out of the maze. What I really needed was this picture, a picture of the maze from above. That was something like the picture that the guy had on the bridge. He had a bigger and better perspective of things than I had. This chapter of the Bible is all about perspective, I think. We have the ground level perspective of Mary and Martha. <clears throat> all they can see are the tunnels and hedges of their grief and suffering. But Jesus see sees things from a different perspective. He sees the fuller and bigger picture and he then acts accordingly. And so these verses I hope this evening will be good medicine for our hearts and souls. Lazarus' death, Mary and Martha's grief, are symbolic of the difficulties that come to us all in life, whether it's death or the illness of a loved one, or even the loss of a job or a position or the heartache of an erring child, whatever maze we may find ourselves in, this story teaches us about perspective and the hope of the gospel and the hope of resurrection. So there's three things that I want us to see about Jesus in this chapter. First of all, that he knows better than we do, then that he loves deeper than we do, and then that he sees further than we do. So first of all then, he knows better than we do. Here we have this little family. They are friends of Jesus. Mary loved to sit at his feet, contemplate him and his teachings. Martha was busier and in the background, but no less devout. We don't know much about Lazarus at all. Some commentators believe that he was the younger brother because he isn't listed as having any real responsibilities in the family life. If that indeed was the case, then it may well be that this is a reasonably young man who has died. This was a family who Jesus loved and they loved him in return. They enjoyed a special relationship. And so when Lazarus is sick, his sisters send word to Jesus with the expectation that he will come immediately to see them with the hope that he will heal Lazarus. But Jesus' response to that request in verse 4 is interesting because it's all about his glory. 
It's not that he isn't concerned about Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. He is, and we'll see that later on. But John records this whole event for us in such a way so as to teach us something about Jesus and his glory. You see, this whole event is a sign for us. It's a sign that shows us that Jesus is the one who has power over death itself. And so we should trust him with the mess and pain in our lives and ultimately trust him even with our death. Verses 5 to 7 in the passage are where things get interesting. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. And then in the, the few Bibles, the NIV Bibles, verse 6 begins with the word yet. But really it should say so. Yet is a poor translation there in the few Bibles. So it should read, now Jesus loved Mary and her, Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. He loves them. So he stays where he is. Doesn't seem to make sense, does it? He loves Lazarus. He loves the sisters. He has the power to heal him. So why does he stay where he is? Why doesn't he go to them immediately? If that was you and your phone buzzed in the service tonight and you got a message saying that a family member was desperately ill and dying, you would want to go to them immediately, no matter how interesting the sermon was. So why is John saying that he loves them so he stays where he is? Well, it's because John wants us to see that Jesus knows better than we do. It's a sign of his perfect wisdom that Jesus doesn't do what we would do here. Verses 11 to 15 seem to confirm this. So Jesus tells his followers that Lazarus has fallen asleep. They misunderstand, think that he has just fallen asleep and that he hasn't really died. But then Jesus spells things out clearly for them in verses 14 and 15. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Jesus is saying that he is glad that he wasn't there when Lazarus was ill. Why? Well, he tells us, because he wants the disciples to believe. Believe what? will believe in him, of course, and specifically to believe that he is the son of God who has the power to change lives. That's the whole point of John's gospel. So in John chapter 20 and verse 31, John tells us why he writes his gospel. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So John is painting the picture for us here that Jesus knows better than we do. On the surface, it looks as though Jesus is being cold and insensitive, but that's not the case. He knows better than Mary and Martha. He knows better than the disciples, and he knows better than us. So pastorally, this is really, really important for us to understand. It reminds us that no matter what circumstances we are facing, we can have confidence that Jesus sees things from a bigger and better perspective than we do. You might not know all of the answers as to why your particular situation is so challenging right now, but the Christian life is about learning and relearning to trust that Jesus knows better than we do. And so when hardships come our way, and they will in the Christian life, we cannot expect to know all of the reasons why, but the principle at work here is that Jesus delayed coming to his faithful and loving followers 
in order to strengthen their faith, not to ruin it. He wants his disciples, and by extension, Mary and Martha themselves, to be built up in their faith through their suffering, not crippled in their faith because of their suffering. So when you, when you get bad news, when you hear perhaps that a, a family member has cancer, and you have all sorts of questions about why, you need to know that Jesus knows better than you do. A young person, if your parent's marriage ends up a complete mess and you're caught in the middle of what feels like a war zone and you don't know what to do, you need to know that Jesus knows better than you do. Or if you find yourself in life having doors closed in your face time and time again, you're unsure about what the future holds, you need to know that Jesus knows better than you do. All of our suffering, even the pain and agony of death, can be used for our good and for the glory of God. Jesus knows better than we do. Secondly then, Jesus loves deeper than we do. Look at how the story unfolds. Verse 17, Jesus arrives. By that stage, Lazarus has been dead for at least four days. There is the tragically painful scene of a family grieving and the big elephant in the room is why didn't Jesus do something? Why wasn't he there? Why has he come so late? Certainly that seems to be what Martha's feeling in verse 21. We're meant to feel, I think, the pain and emotion of this scene in verse 21. It's very easy to read it and not feel that, but we're meant to feel that this is gut-wrenchingly painful. Martha comes out to meet Jesus. You can imagine it, right? Pale, disheveled, tears in her face and in the dusty heat of the Palestinian landscape she sees Jesus coming and she can hardly mutter out the words through the tears in her eyes and in her voice when she says to Jesus in verse 21 Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died and so she comes right out with it she expresses her emotion and pain to Jesus and then in verse 22 it's almost as though she feels she has to qualify her initial comments with some good and orthodox theology, she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And so on the one hand, she is frustrated with Jesus. Clearly, she has all sorts of questions about why he hasn't acted to heal Lazarus. And yet on the other hand, she knows that he is all powerful. And even now at this moment, he has the very power of God at his disposal. You know, there is a sense in which her response here is an appropriate one. It is not sinful to tell God how we feel. Even if we feel angry and frustrated. Now, of course, we should never be irreverent before God. He is God and we are just creatures. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't share our feelings with him. He is much more patient and understanding than often we think he is. You can bring your feelings to God even if you're frustrated and angry. And actually, if you look down at verse 32, you'll see that Mary has the exact same initial thought as her sister did. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. <clears throat> it's almost as though at some level, both sisters are doubting whether or not Jesus really loved them. Their questions here are not so much about Jesus' power, but about his goodness. 
they're not questions about his sovereignty. They are questions about his love. What we see is that Jesus does love them. And he does love Lazarus. And he does love us. His love is deeper and greater than we can imagine. We see that in his reaction in verses 33 to 38. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Where have you led him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? Why does Jesus weep? You know, in the Gospels, Jesus doesn't actually weep very much. I can only think of one other occasion when Jesus weeps in the Gospels. Sometimes we have this picture of him walking around being super emotional all of the time. But the only other time I can think of Jesus weeping is in Luke chapter 19. After the triumphal entry, he looks up to the city of Jerusalem and weeps over it. Why does he weep here? He weeps in the first instance because he is sad that he has lost a friend. He weeps because he is mourning and grieving with Mary and Martha. He weeps because he is a savior who doesn't just suffer for us. He suffers with us. The whole thrust of this chapter is to point us to the divinity of Jesus. The raising of Lazarus from the dead is something that only God has the power to do. But we also get a beautiful glimpse of Jesus' humanity here. He grieves with his friends. Sometimes Christmas here in Hill Street, we sing the Christmas carol once in Royal David City. I had contemplated asking, could we sing it tonight? But it's too warm and singing carols in August is just weird. But there's a line in it that says, speaking about Jesus, and he feels for all our sadness and he shares in all our gladness. It'd be weird to sing it tonight, right? But that is really good Christology. He understands our pain. We don't have a God who is removed from the mess of our world. He has entered into it himself. And the greatest resource he gives us in the middle of our pain is himself. He has walked through the dark tunnels and hedges of our messy maze. And so he can empathize with us in our pain and in our sorrow. But that isn't the only reason why Jesus weeps. I mean, think about what's about to happen here, right? He also knows what's about to happen. He knows that in a few minutes, he will see Lazarus again. He knows that in a few minutes, Mary and Martha's tears of anguish will be tears of joy. Jesus is actually the only one in this whole situation who knows exactly what's about to happen. And so in many ways, he ought to be the only one who is not weeping. So why does he weep? He weeps because he is coming face to face with the horror and brutality of death. And it grieves him. He weeps because he knows that death was not how God intended things to be. He weeps because he sees the ravaging and crippling effects of the curse of sin. He weeps because he knows that the wages of sin is death. And it cuts him to his very core that this is the fate of humanity. He comes face to face with death. He feels its pain, he smells its stench, and he weeps at its brutality. 
course, all of this is dramatically put together by John so as to point us beyond this tomb and this death to another tomb and another death. As Jesus stands outside that tomb and looks into it, he knows that in just a few weeks' time, he will be the one who is placed in a tomb. He knows that the wages of sin is death. He knows that the only way that he can rid the world of sin and reverse the effects of its curse will be for him to go to his own death. You see, it looks easy here for Jesus to bring life from death. He just speaks a few words and Lazarus rises from the dead. But for Jesus to bring true life, spiritual life, everlasting life from death, that would be much more costly for him. It would cost him everything. And so we need to know this this evening that Jesus loves deeper than we do. He loves us so much that he has been willing to die for us to be led in a tomb for us, to take on the full effect of sin and its curse for us so that we can have life and life to the full. This is how much Jesus loves us. And so whenever we might be tempted to doubt whether or not Jesus loves us, then we need to look to the cross because it's there we see Jesus showing us the full extent of his love. He loves deeper than we do. He has been willing to die for us. He knows better than we do. He loves deeper than we do. Last thing then, he sees further than we do. What do I mean by that? Well, really what I mean is that Jesus has a much better and fuller grasp of the bigger picture than either you or I do. Look at verses 21 to 27 with me. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. And so Jesus' words here to Martha serve both to comfort her and confront her. On the one hand, he wants to assure her that Lazarus will rise again. And on the other, he confronts her with the challenge of what she really believes about him. Notice in that little section that I just read how much that term believe or believing is used. John is hammering home that point that he's been trying to make throughout his whole gospel. The whole point of these stories is that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in him, we might have life in his name. So when Jesus says in verse 25 that he is the resurrection and the life, he is not just talking to Martha about Lazarus. He is by extension extension, talking to you about your death. That's what I mean when I say Jesus sees further than we do. He sees our whole lives from start to finish. He sees the full picture, full map of the maze. He sees our death. And he invites us to trust him even with our death. Promises that he is the resurrection and the life. Which means that he promises to carry us safely through death. So that we can be with him forever. After being diagnosed with terminal cancer, 
Apple founder Steve Jobs spoke of the inevitability of his death, and he said this, the quote from the screen. He said, I can now say this to you with a bit more certainty than when death was a useful but purely intellectual concept. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet, death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. No one has ever escaped death. Even Lazarus died again at some stage. But Jesus has defeated death. And so nothing or no one else in the whole world can promise you hope in the face of death. Jesus and Jesus alone is claiming to have the power to neutralize death and its effect. And so in the same way that Lazarus' tomb points us to the tomb of Jesus, so too Lazarus' resurrection here points us to the greater resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He is our only hope in life and in death. So here's the question for us to grapple with this evening. In fact, here is Jesus' question to us in our own words, right? His own words, sorry. Verses 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? When it boils down to it, that's the whole point of the story. It's the whole point of the gospel. It's the whole point that John has been trying to hammer home to us from the off. We must believe in this Jesus. And in doing so, we can have confidence in the face of death and the hope of life everlasting. And if we don't, then we can have no confidence in the face of death, no hope of everlasting life. And so what we do with Jesus and his claim matters more than anything else in the whole world. He is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in this story, we come face to face with some of the very biggest questions about the human existence. Father, we know that for some of us this evening, these questions are difficult, sore at present, pressing perhaps. Lord, we pray that you will help us by your grace to believe that you really are the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing that we might have life in your name and confidence even in the face of death. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake.